Hello and welcome to What We've Learned, Series 3. It's me, Steve, and it's her, Shane. Hello, Shane. Hello. Hope you're well. Yes. Good. Good to hear it. And indeed, I hope you're excited like I am because we have yet another brilliant guest in this Leaders and Pioneers series. Shane, tell us a bit about today's guest, if you will. Well, Rachel, for me, really falls into the category of being a pioneer. Rachel Tranter is one of the founders and executive directors of Women on Boards, uh, founded, I believe, over eight years ago now to address the pressing problem of how to help get more female talent onto the boards of companies. Um, lots of really interesting points that Rachel shares about how you go about becoming a non-exec director, what skills you need, and just some really thoughtful stuff about talent today. I really enjoy this one. Yeah, this is a great session. And as you say, Shane, over those nine years of doing this, we'll learn from Rachel about how it started, what's changed, and indeed what hasn't. And we turn the tables again, another guest where this time, rather than doing the interviewing that she spends a lot of time doing herself, which we'll talk about as we start, it's her chance to tell us about her vision and what she's learned as a leader and pioneer in this remarkable space. So let's hear from Rachel Tranter. Well, welcome, Rachel. It's a real pleasure to have you with us today on this episode of What We've Learned, particularly as I think it's a bit of a change of role for you. You're normally uh, the interviewer giving interviewees support. Um, and I thought it was a nice place to start and perhaps to tell us a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day -day basis as founder and director of Women on Boards. Um, thank you, Shane. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joining you. And it is quite funny to be literally on the other side of, of, of the table, as, as you've just said. Um, so what, gosh, what is my day-to-day -day role at Women on Boards? Um, well, the beauty of Women on Boards, almost a decade in, uh, is that every day is different. Uh, but essentially, I run our vacancy business, uh, which is our, um, our board of non-exec opportunities. And given that people join Women on Boards because essentially they're looking for a board role and support to get to the boardroom, one of the key things that they're looking for are the opportunities. Um, so I basically manage that board, uh, which means talking to uh, those organisations who are looking for new board talent, and also obviously talking to our many members about these opportunities. And uh, essentially, uh, with lots of good work in the middle, training and support, matching them up. Um, the second, I guess, key uh, piece of my work and what keeps me busy is member engagement and that uh, is primarily interview support. So when um, somebody uh, comes along and uh, joins women on boards at some point, some, some people it happens very quickly, um, they'll get called for interview and one of my absolute delights about what I do is talking to that person who's got the interview and how delighted and sometimes how pleasantly surprised they are that they've got that interview. So my role is then to talk to them before the interview and give them uh, a real boost. Um, I'm, I'm no coach, Shane, I've got no training in this other than what I've been doing 
I suppose, all my career, uh, but essentially in the last uh, nine years that women on boards. Um, and that um, interview support is getting that person uh, as prepared as we possibly can to walk into that interview, whether it's physical or virtual, and present their best self. And I have to say, I absolutely love what I do. I talk to all sorts of different people, uh, people who are young and ambitious and starting off and have got no clue um, about what the interview is for, even some of them, it's hilarious. So um, it'll be, you know, starting from scratch, let's have a think, well, what is a trustee? Uh, what are you gonna be doing? Uh, what is this organization? All the way through to incredibly senior leaders who I sometimes look at their CVs and think, what am I going to be telling you? You're far more senior than me. What, what can I possibly help you with? And they actually sometimes are the more rewarding conversations uh, because we've all got to get something from what we do. And I come away from that conversation thinking, wow, I think I've just really helped you. Um, and whether it's just giving you, uh, giving that person safe space, time to identify their skills, time to step back from their busy day job, whatever it might be. Um, so I guess those are my two main uh, channels of, of, of work. And then in between, uh, all sorts of, uh, of, of different, different things. It sounds like a busy existence, Rachel. So we're lucky to have you, I think, for sure, in terms of the time you've got to us today. Um, I, I just you say you're not a coach, but um, I guess not on, not just the rewarding of you talk to one individual. You mentioned senior leaders and you learn. But of course, that just means you can connect with the next person you talk to. You, you learn from one and you can continually transfer your learnings from any of these um, prep sessions you do or discussions you do with people that if somebody's first time to go to whether it's a trustee role or a board director role versus you know they're 30 40 years into a career I guess you're always learning and always able to to share through this network and those co the collective learnings that help everybody that you engage regardless of where they are in that career path. Um, you're absolutely right Steve I mean I uh, I view them as a as a bank of experiences um, and although I don't write notes I absorb um, what, um, what the, the discussions and um, the type of issues that people have, I, I acknowledge and, and take to the next interview, uh, interview support rather. Um, and and in a really important piece that I always ask people, because this is all about um, giving and giving back. It's almost like a, a, a circle of, of giving. Because what I do say to people is when you go for your interview, do me a favour, um, give me a call or email me and let me know how it goes. Because uh, we can only second guess what the interview is going to be like. Um, and so what, I, what I'm really keen, what people often do, which is brilliant, is they'll tell me how it went and they'll tell me the type of questions. So again, I'm, I'm forever learning from these people. Um, and obviously they're hopefully learning from me because then we're all developing. A, how could it go? Um, what type of questions are they going to ask you? Uh, what channel were they, were they going down? How did they make you feel? And obviously in the last year, um, we've had to really reshape um, how, we've, how we've done this uh, in terms of you know, preparing people for their in interviews in the, uh, in the virtual world. And so it's been absolutely brilliant for people to feed back to me. And again, at, at all levels. Um, and sometimes the more nervous people uh, over the last year are the more senior people because they are having to adapt 
And maybe they're people who they're very, very senior uh, as, as leaders, um, but maybe they haven't had an interview for sometimes for 10, 20 years uh, and certainly have not had a non-exec interview. So, so providing that support and learning from others is a big piece of, of, of this, this particular area of work that we do. That's really interesting, Rachel. It's a topic that's come up time and time again on, on this series is about sort of that imposter syndrome and, you know, am I really good enough for me? But I think, you know, it's interesting what you're saying there, that actually the more seen you are, the longer it is since you've had an interview. And I was just reflecting on that as I was listening to you thinking, oh, my goodness, it is, I think, scarily at least at least 25 years since I've had an interview. And uh, it's really strange to sort of think, yes, it's a skill that I need to learn, um, but it's also one that changes. So what I want to ask you now is that, you know, reflecting on the year that we've had, as well as people needing to adapt new skills like virtual interviews, what about companies and boards? What are the sort of leaders that perhaps they're now looking for which might have changed? Have you seen that happen already? I have seen um, because because we because we are helping boards uh, recruit non-execs. Um, what we've seen in in particular, Shane, is a is a, a real shift in the in the skill set uh, that these boards are looking for. Um, and if I if I sort of cast my mind back to I guess this time last year, this time last year, boards typically, and this is a, a generalisation, but they were fairly quiet. They were, they were generally speaking way too busy working out how to, how to pivot, how to, how to deal with a crisis, whatever it might be, to think about um, what type of uh, new uh, board talent they needed. Then sort of May, June, June time, you could see, see people resurfacing. And yes, I would definitely say that boards are looking for different skills skills and actually um, quite often I've seen boards looking for may possibly a little bit more seniority uh, boards who may have taken a chance a year ago uh, on on some uh, new talent sadly what we have seen is a little bit of a shift towards um, or um, maybe a year ago we would have said previous board experience doesn't matter. And what I have seen is quite a few of those boards now going, actually it does matter. Um, so we are looking for people who have possibly done this before. So I see that. Um, I wouldn't say it's a, grow, it's, a, it's a general theme. They're just things coming out. In terms of the different types of leadership skills that possibly have been uh, looked for, much more around that broad risk, governance, regulation, uh, are you going to be able to steer us through the next six months, um, in addition to the obvious in the not-for-profit sector, um, uh, the fundraising, uh, the, the, you know, have you got contacts, what's your network like, that's inevitable and that's something that obviously we, 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 we see and we accept, um, but very much looking for people who can help steer an organization so that broad uh, commercial know-how that business acumen uh, what type of leader are you when I talk to people before their interviews I'm really hot on people thinking what is my leadership style because they are whatever role they're looking whatever they're looking to recruit for they do want to know what type of leader you are 
Um, so I do think that that matters. It's interesting, isn't it? Because just back to Shane's point around when was when was one last interviewed? I was thinking broader than that, Rachel. I guess things like my CV. When did I last update my CV? And you must find people that whatever stage of their career, part of what you give them is that articulation advice, not just in the interviews you've talked about, but how do they position themselves in places like LinkedIn? How do they make sure that they are contemporary in terms of uh, being out there? visible in the right way in the right places I, I presume that must be part of this rounder package of what you look like as a modern uh, appropriate and, and useful director to organizations absolutely because you know the what i would say though steve is the most important thing in our in the net world that that, that we're in is you, you the most important thing is still that 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 cv and it's shifting people uh, away from uh, only having one CV. So everyone thinks, um, you know, your starting point is I've got my CV, it's fabulous, and it will be fabulous. But the, the chances are it will be a fabulous executive CV. And what, pe what we do is we, we help shift people into the concept of possibly having two CVs. So you've got your exec CV and then you've got your board CV. And in addition to that, you're absolutely right um, people have to understand that uh, LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool. And if you are going for any form of, well, two things, if you're going for, a, if you apply for a role, one of the first things that uh, an organization will do is look at your LinkedIn. The second thing is increasingly companies will find you via LinkedIn. Um, so, uh, and I'm seeing quite a lot of that over the last six months is people being approached directly uh, on LinkedIn, so your um, your um, your presence uh, has got to be uh, very much out there, current, and also consistent, and that causes people uh, a few challenges. But they're challenges that can be that can be overcome. In, in that you're if you're an exec, or but when I say exec, you know, let, let, let's let's just remember that this is anyone who's basically got a, a day job because we look after everybody, not just people at a senior level, but but all, all levels. But anyone who's obviously busy working, building a career, um, they will have what they're doing. But at the same time, they've got their profile on LinkedIn, which we always say to people, don't be afraid of saying exploring non-exec opportunities. Uh, it's not a bad thing to put on your, on, on your LinkedIn. Uh, you also then have to think broad, you know, Instagram, um, you, you know, think about your, your, what, you, what your profile is there. It really matters. It might not matter too much, uh, the, the, uh, away from your board CV and LinkedIn, uh, but the other is you've just got to make sure you've got some consistency uh, running through, uh, through all of those threads, actually. Uh, but the most important thing for us is still the board CV and the confidence Honestly, when I see people uh, reluctant to do it, once they've done that, that board CV, um, the confidence it gives people, uh, the boost it gives people to think, oh, I do have a, I, I can be a non-exec um, because I've got these fabulous skills. I've been a senior leader for however many years. And I didn't realise it's not until they write their board CVs that they realise what they're good at. Um, and I think that's, that, that, that's a... A key, maybe a key thing to pull out is that, um, you know, a very senior uh, lawyer, uh, a partner in an accounting firm, they will have had an incredibly successful career, will continue to be doing that. 
do, do they understand the, the, the value add? Do they I think, I think that's really interesting, Rachel. I think that value add and, you know, understanding what strengths you bring. It's often hard to see yourself and writing, if you like, your own brand description, as you say, for, you know, social media is increasingly important. But the question I have for you is, is you, you mentioned about, you know, what type of leader are you? And I think that's a, a fascinating question to sort of reflect on. But I want to say... Being a non-exec director, and I'm fortunate enough to, to hold, you know, three, is very different to being an executive director. So are there some sort of leaders, in your view, that don't make the transition well to becoming a non-exec? Um, and if so, what sort of leaders are those? Because it is very different, isn't it? Gosh, that's a, that's a, a challenging uh, question, Shane. So are there people who, who don't... Who, who find it difficult to, uh, to, to, to shift over. Yes, uh, there, there are. Um, and um, I would say, I'd, I'd, I wouldn't want to sort of think of it too specific, but as a generalization, um, you see a lot of people who, who can't shift over. And what stops them from shifting over? Because they can't, they don't invest the time in understanding the difference and you know from your roles there's a massive difference uh, from being the person who rolls their sleeves up and actually does the work at whatever level versus the person who as a non-exec is obviously supposed to go in support strategize uh, be part of that helicopter role and not get involved in the day-to-day -day running of the business they are the people who it's not so much that they don't do a good job, they actually don't get the opportunity uh, to do the job in the, in, in the first place. So it's that person who, who, I suppose two things, they can't, they don't recognize the value add, so they don't actually get through to the interview in the first place um, because they haven't been able to say, you know, yes, I'm an incredibly senior lawyer, but I've not stepped back and thought about the fact that these are my skills, commerciality, risk, governance, regulation. Um, but then it's those people who who can't then um, recognise that when they're in the boardroom, they are not there to do, they are there to guide. Um, have I seen people in practice not do a terribly good job? Um, I have. Um, and, you know, they are, again, that the people who have not, I think the general feeling here is that there are people who have not invested enough time in understanding the difference in the roles. It's a really interesting point, Rachel, because it resonates with me. I sit as a non-exec on a board where, um, and, and this isn't a gender thing at all, it's a fairly balanced board of 12, but the criticism I suspect introspectively would be we tend to meddle in operational stuff too much if we're not careful. And, and just to kind of what you've said. And I wonder partly if it's uh, doing the work, as you said, to understand that difference, because there is a clear difference in those roles, which is the onus is on the individual, but, but also maybe the confidence. I wonder back to Shane's point around imposter syndrome. Sometimes people think or, or the whole way through the arc, oh, I couldn't be a board. I couldn't be a non-exec. I've never done it before. I'm a non-exec. I better prove my worth and I'll do that by being productive. And that can often lead to trying to be too operational rather than, as you say, that helicopter, you're adding value by coming in, 
making a point objectively from the outside and then leaving again. I wonder if people suffer that as well. They just try and do to look busy rather than accept that they are adding value by nature of their, their appearance every time at board meetings or however they involve. And I think I think you I think you're right, Steve. I mean that happens, and um, you know one of the boards that um, uh, that I I sit on. Um, what I've done over the last three and a half years is shift it. And I think we're, I think we're doing a really good job actually shifting it from operational uh, to uh, a governing body. And this is a sports board, so I think it's probably the best example environment of of what you just described um where um we were incredibly operational um but the beauty of of me joining for, for me the great thing about me um grassroots football operational stuff so i sat there thinking well i can't i can't meddle with any of this because i don't get it um i don't really understand uh, what what you're talking about it was so operational um, and what I did was therefore I slowly and I think the key thing is it's you, you, you've got to transition slowly no one goes onto a board and changes the world immediately it doesn't happen like that we all know that you have to take your time you have to understand your place uh, around the table you have to learn the, the, the people the personalities so I have gradually uh, brought what I know my skills are to this uh, to this board um, which are governance but did I know that before no what I've realized is I'm pretty good I think at governance uh, and strategy and um, that's how we have shifted um, in into that but it, 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 it can take a long time and you're right those people who maybe haven't got those skills will naturally uh, feel more comfortable on the on the operational side and I think the other thing to to remember um, is that people going on boards need role models, mentors, as, as much as anybody does. And the key thing is to identify a role model or an ally uh, that can help you transition onto a board. I think that's lovely. And I know that personally is one of the things that, you know, women in, on boards offers in spades along with you know support and webinars and people giving um, tips and hints to each other but I think it's very interesting hearing what you're saying there Rachel about that that because you don't come from the world of football your your view is different and where you're adding value is different and actually that sounds to me like a a really good tip for organizations looking for board members because I often find they too often want people who have come from the same industry. And actually, it's very difficult to challenge thinking when you're of the world. But when you're not of the world, you do see things differently. And you mentioned strategy and you're, you're able to challenge, you're able to ask sometimes what might be regarded as a silly question, when of course it's not. Do you, do you see that the boards who get the best recruits, the best talent, are those ones who are wider and braver? I think you've got to go for a good blend. And I think that generally speaking, I would say absolutely. If you can go wider and braver, uh, you, you, you are bringing something different to your board. You've invested the time in, 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 
in actually looking at the skills that you've got and hopefully you've identified the whole and you're being brave and you're bringing somebody in that's different. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, I have seen uh, organisations have to play a little bit safer over the last year. Um, you know, maybe that's it. Maybe that's that's a good thing. We can't. You know, we're we're not the experts at knowing necessarily what all those boards need. But um, if I think about, uh, I can give you an example. Uh, again, it's it's a, it's a sports board, but it's a very, I think, an excellent example of of being brave. And we recruit. We've just recruited somebody about um, five months ago, where we went into this process saying. And we absolutely need somebody from a, uh, a, a commercial sporting background. So not somebody, not a player, uh, but somebody with commercial know-how in the sporting arena, any arena. And um, we took somebody, uh, we've recruited somebody who's got absolutely no background in sport whatsoever. And we did it because we were brave and we said, wow. Um, so, so the important thing is somebody who hasn't got the background still has to have demonstrated that they have researched you ever so well, they get what you do and they are aligned to what you do. They may not have had any experience of what you do, but they're aligned to your values, uh, your ethos, if that's appropriate. And they've actually come up, they've done some research and they've come up with some new ideas that might be relevant to you. Now you may forget those ideas, you may never use those ideas, but to me, that's when somebody really brave is the right person because they're brave. You're being brave, rather. Uh, maybe they're being brave too. Um, but but you're not being so brave because actually they've demonstrated in the interview process that they're they're ready and they'll 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 get the operational side. They'll they'll they'll, they'll get up to speed in no time. Um, so I do think I suppose my overall answer to that is yes. Uh, those who recruit in a brave and open fashion uh, tend to be the ones who are most rewarded. It's an interesting point, and, and I sit on a, a sports uh, governing body as well, interestingly, and I, I'm just reflecting around the virtual room as it is in there and how there's that blend of those that know the sport, but those that are suitably distant. And I'm an, an, an independent on exec there that I do know the sport, but I, I don't come, hopefully don't come with the baggage, if you will. I can just see it for what it is without that uh, his, histrionics perhaps to it. Um, I wondered, Rachel, we take that thread back to that individual. You say you need a brave board, but I, I was going to ask you about, and, and it sounds very crude, but it feels like a supply and demand business. On one end, you need those board positions, but you need the supply of the right kind of people. And I wondered at that end whether you feel there's a, there's a great supply of people or, or to that last point, there may be people that are really capable of helping out a board, but because to your example with, with sport and commercial um, football they've got they don't think they've got transferable skills I wonder whether there's a whole wave of people that just aren't yet tapped into this that could be incredibly helpful on a board is that a, is that a case is that a frustration we, we don't have the supply versus actually there's been an awakening there's a lot more people out there there's there's not enough positions where does it where do you see it at the moment um so the whole reason um the whole reason for women on boards is exactly what you've just um, summed up. And so, you know, we set up uh, in the UK, we already existed in Australia, but we set up in, in the UK nine years ago because we felt there was, uh, that, well, we felt like there was a, a, a huge, the supply was there, but it was untapped. Um, do people really know how big this talent pool is? 
are enough people in the talent pool because they don't have the confidence or even the know-how to be in that talent pool. So we start with this challenge of uh, there are plenty of people out there. Let, let's get down to basics. There were plenty, thousands and thousands of fantastic women who had the skills. Maybe they didn't know they had the skills, uh, but certainly if we look at the demand side, those organizations had no clue how big this potential um, uh, talent pool actually was. Moving forward to now, um, so our reason for being is obviously to get those people through to the opportunities through providing all sorts of networking, training, confidence boosting, whatever it might be. If we think now, where are we? Um, we're in a much better place. I think you have to go sector by sector. I don't think you can say, um, you know, if we start digging into all, all the different things, the public sector, for example, has shifted a huge way in the last, certainly in the last 10 years, in a positive way. Um, financial services, well, you know, they seem to be doing good things and then they get slammed for, for, for uh, pay gaps. So well, there's a lot of work clearly still to be done in financial services. But generally speaking, um, are we in a better place than we were nine years ago? Absolutely. Uh, if I think about the amount of people that we look after um, and what success means to us, success to us, me, is somebody, a member of Women on Boards, which chances are probably will be a woman, not guaranteed, but probably um, getting on a board. Well, at the moment, we're on uh, one a day. Uh, we were, our, our average last year was one a day, and obviously we now want to do uh, more than one person a day. But that's, that's success. So are we, are we winning? Are we matching supply and demand? Yes. Uh, but is there plenty more work to be done as, as new talent comes along? I mean, the key thing here, um, and I think a lot of um, maybe uh, organisations, recruitment um, firms possibly, I think people think that these, these buckets stand still and they don't. Supply changes every single day because new talent comes into the talent pool every single day. And that might be young, new, sort of um, ambitious people who have signed up to JP Morgan and signed up to Women on Boards possibly and going, I could go on a board, all the way through to that senior leader thinking it is time for me to start thinking about the something else. So I think what, we, what everyone has to recognise is that supply, that, that, that pool is, 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 is moving. And obviously the demand side is also shifting. Um, who's on a board this week might not be the same as next week. What an organisation wanted six months ago might not be what it wants now. So I think that we, you know, there's a lot of really good things happening, uh, but we all have to stay agile uh, on both sides of the, uh, of the model. I think it's really interesting to talk about the, you know, the, the fact that the pool is always changing and I would certainly agree with you. And I think one of the challenges I certainly had when I set out to, to get my first non-exec role, it was very much, as you said earlier, um, where you can be appointed to the board of a PLC um, when you're already on the board of a PLC. Um, and I chose to go and do the, the Institute of Directors um, non-executive director course. And it, it, it was very obvious to me that there were these organisations, you know, winding back before women on boards even existed, um, who who would not recruit unless you tick these boxes. And that's why actually my career in non-exec has been at the other end, if you like, it's the smaller entrepreneurial businesses that are looking to build. Um, 
where do you see you talked about the supply changing but where do you see the demand changing is it is it in purely the charitable foundations or the plcs or do you see a a widening of opportunities for non-execs into other types of organization yes i i do um and i can i can point to the type of organizations um that have come to us in the last year um who had two years ago wouldn't have thought even thought about advertising so i think there's been a shift um i can't say how i can't quite quantify it um, but there certainly has been a shift in, in organisations starting to think more openly about their, their um, search, about their recruitment processes. Um, and we have helped, interestingly enough, quite a few uh, financial services organisations who have suddenly decided, um, I can't second guess why, um, but, but I suppose we could have a go um, at um, they've suddenly decided that actually they need to be a little bit broader in their search. Maybe they've been told they have to. Um, I've had one organisation uh, come, come to us uh, at the end of last year, uh, um, uh, an overseas organisation say, we, we can't find anyone outside of our country and we can't find anyone uh, well, to, to be blunt, we can't find any women. Um, so what do we do? So I didn't have to scratch my head for too long. So well, why don't you advertise on our board? Um, and they did. Now, I don't think a year ago they would have come to us. I also don't think they would have admitted who they were. Because a lot of companies don't like to say that they're advertising openly. And I, I get that. There can be regulatory reasons there can be all sorts of reasons. We, we can't be desperately naive here. Companies don't just simply decide not to advertise because they don't feel like it, possibly. Um, and so I have seen uh, a, a, a shift uh, in, in organisations, uh, I suppose, desire to be a little bit more open. And if they're being told you need to fish in a bigger, in a bigger pond um, and maybe you need to look at your gender balance on your board, then clearly coming to an organisation like us um, is going to help. Um, and I've also seen a shift in, um, uh, in recruit in search, because uh, search is starting to say, well, maybe, uh, maybe going to an organisation like Women on Boards, I mean, we're not alone. There are other, obviously other um, sources. They have started to think that maybe it's not such a bad thing uh, to, to open up our talent pool because maybe we don't know everybody. So I've certainly see, seen those uh, those shifts take place, yeah. Interesting, Rachel. I was, back to the kind of supply and demand, it sounds like, you know, there is more openness now to, to look, as you say, kind of further afield. We don't know who we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But I, I just wonder, and it's a difficult one for me to articulate, so, so please forgive me, but whether the world has moved on enough in these nine years compared to when you started the business of unfortunately frankly still a fairly patriarchal structure within boards that there's that balance of as you mentioned you should bring in more females but doing it for the right reasons rather than tick box exercise or do you feel that enough boards are now moving to actually gender is is irrelevant it should be about the individual and the skills where do you feel that we are now compared to perhaps nine years ago and and is the direction of travel as you'd, you'd hope or want it would be in that sense? 
I think I think the direction of travel is uh, okay, but it's it, the speed is a little disappointing. So I definitely think we're going in the direction, the right direction. If somebody had said to uh, to, to, to the, the three founders in the UK uh, nine years ago, uh, you'll still be doing this in uh, in 2021. I think we'd all be having a bit of a laugh going, no, it'll all have been fixed by then. Well, clearly we were a little naive because these things do not get fixed overnight. I do think it is absolutely going in the right direction. I still um, uh, am pleased, relieved, should I say, um, that we are um, we are trying to still do this uh, work in a world of, of, of merit. Um, and I don't I don't feel I don't speak to that many women who feel like they're they you know they are only in fact do I ever talk to women who feel like they they are being appointed because of their gender uh, a token appointment no I don't so I do think that I wish more I wish there was more openness I I the key thing is the openness actually um and I don't suspect that that's so much a gender issue it is more a reluctance of organizations to transparently advertise for me, that's probably the biggest frustration because I think if they transparently advertise, we have done, and many organisations, not just us, um, have done a good job of setting up that talent pool ready for them and put them in a put these people in a really good place to apply if only they had something to apply for. So I think my biggest frustration is that there's still that the people uh, will be recruited uh, through their network, which is not a bad thing because we're always saying to people, network, network, network. Um, but I wish there was more transparency because I think that, as I say, I think the supply uh, is doing really is, is doing really well. So that's, that's good to hear. And I think, you know, for those listening who think, well, perhaps I have wondered what it would be like to you know have uh, an additional role as a non-exec or maybe as you say as people uh, perhaps reach how should we say their seniority and are thinking about the what next and thinking about do I step, step down from a full-time role um, you know any words of advice you know when should you start thinking about this um, if you're thinking about you know widening your your portfolio of what you do um, and you know any tips for where you start um, there is no, it's a tricky one. There is no set time when you should, uh, you should start, is there? I mean, I, I think, I often talk to people and say, how strategic are you? And the first thing you have to ask yourself is, are you strategic? Are you somebody who, who thinks ahead and thinks about their career? And I often, I love listening to people, Shane, who have got fantastic CVs. They, they talk at our, our events and you look at their bio and you think, wow, you must have been so strategic. You've thought all of this through. You're so well planned out. Of course, that person says, no, of course I wasn't. I didn't know, I didn't know when I was going to start. I just stumbled across this. But obviously you can't give that, that advice to people. People, that, that people have to. So what I say is, how strategic are you? The person who comes back to me and says, very, I like to think ahead. I say, marvellous. Um, do you think you could see yourself, for example, going on a board in five years' time? 
Um, yes, I could. Right, you need to start planning now. If I get somebody who says, no, I'm way too busy. I've got family, I've got career. I say, okay, let's start putting you in the position now. Um, so I'm saying this is the person who, who wants to look for a board role but can't look ahead. They can't, they, they've come to us. But if I say you're strategic, you look two years ahead. They go, oh, I can't do that. Um, but I would take a board role now if it was the right one. So whoever you're talking to, you have to start your planning now because you really don't know what's around the corner. So my advice would be uh, you start now and you put yourself in the position where if you're strategic, you'll start doing your networking, building, building the opportunities, building the ideas now. If you're not strategic, you're still going to be in a great position if you suddenly stumble across a role and go, I can't resist this. I'm going to apply for this now. So I would say anyone who's got that seed of interest that maybe I could be a non-exec at some point should start planning now. And it is really a case of um, starting to build a network, however, however big and however bold you are, start thinking outside of your day-to-day -day network. What are your networks? What are your personal networks? What are your external corporate, whatever your networks are, start identifying your networks and then um, start putting that non-exec CV together. And somebody who has got no board roles at all will often say, I can't put a, a board CV together because it's a bit chicken and egg. I don't have any board positions. And that's the first mistake somebody will make because as you, as you both know, because you're in the, you know, you're both non-execs, um, before you're a non-exec, you still have value add. And the whole point of the board CV is pulling out that value add. If I go on a board, this is what I will bring. These are my, this is my, I always call it your NED toolkit. This is me. Um, and also it's amazing how many people, if you ask them, have you been on a committee? Yes. Okay, brilliant. Put that in your board CV. And it's things like that, that, that really, really boost people's confidence. So I think start as soon as you think it might be something that you'd like to do at some point. Um, in terms of any sort of, I suppose I, if I could share some sort of general uh, tips if, if that would help. Be great, yeah, please do. Um, yeah, so the type of things that I think, uh, you know, th this is sort of general advice, but certainly in the, in, in the non-exec world, you absolutely have to believe in yourself. We are all unique and we've all got skills and you have to start by, it's a difficult one, believe in yourself. What do I mean? Have, have confidence um, in, in you and, you know, it's almost like celebrate brand you. Who are you? And once you start thinking about who you are, um, you start believing in yourself. The second thing I would say, I guess, would be invest in yourself. And I don't mean spend loads of money on training programs, invest in yourself. That might be um, uh, investing in a, in a network. It might be, but I'm thinking more about time. Step back, think about you, what matters? What do you want to do? Who are you? So and we, we're not very good at that. I don't think any of us are very good at investing in ourselves. Uh, and I think that would be, you know, another a key thing I'd say. Um, I also think, certainly with non-exec uh, interviews, you've got to be resilient. Uh, you've got to learn from your setbacks. Um, you've got to be prepared to have 
lots of virtual or real cups of coffee with people. I'd start building that network. And you've got to accept the fact you won't get, every, you, it may take a while of rejection before you get your first board role, but learn from those, board, from, from, from those rejections. Um, because the chances are, if you didn't get a role, it will be because somebody just picked you at a little bit more. It won't be because you bombed the interview. So be resilient, learn from your setbacks. Um, and like I said, have a plan. If you could possibly have a plan, I'd certainly give it a go. Excellent stuff there. Thank you so much, Rachel. Shane, really enjoyed that. Lots and lots to take away. Huge amount. And I think what actually I did a, a poor job of explaining that Rachel uh, came to this from corporate life. Actually, she actually spent uh, many years in her early career at PwC in the tax team. And I, I think one of the things I reflect on and we don't perhaps talk enough about is the, if you like, the symbiosis between being a uh, non-executive director and an executive director and that you can get huge benefits of learning things in one role and taking it back to another. Doesn't always have to be a paid non-exec role. Um, for example, volunteering. You know, volunteering is a fantastic way if you're thinking about getting into a portfolio career um, to start getting that board experience. Is yeah, that something, I'm, yeah, you, you've, you've come across the same. I can relate to that. Yeah, I, well, I think she made some excellent points about that, um, you know, not underselling yourself. Have you been on a committee? Yes. Well, don't forget to say that. There are crossovers, and I can certainly talk. Having having fairly recently, in the last 15 months, joined a uh, as a non-exec of a, a national governing body uh, in sport, and that's a voluntary position, there are big crossovers between that and, and my career before where I've been on three or four different corporate boards um, all with a similar kind of operating turnover actually as, as Table Tennis England where I'm a director um, and lots of crossover Shane and I think that's the thing that, that Rachel made a really good point for is you know think about where you can transfer your skills equally vast differences as well um, and that's what I think people will find if, if they go in a similar journey to perhaps me yourself and many others is it's so rewarding to do that job with the sport because I'm learning things all the time. I can bring in, I can add value, but I can equally learn as well. So I think it's a really nice combination that people get from that, as well as strengthening their own kind of career development. If they do want to move on to a portfolio or a fractional career, as it's probably more fashionably known these days, um, it, it certainly adds their, adds their stripes. Absolutely. And that experience of sitting on a board for the first time, you know, it could be a charity, it can be a trade association, it can be a voluntary group locally. You'll find meetings run brilliantly and you'll find boards that run really badly. Um, and, and having that opportunity, that exposure before you get onto an executive board, uh, I think is really useful. And it certainly stood me very well in my career so I hope lots of people have taken away from this um, that they should be finding out more about it if they haven't thought about being a non-exec or um, perhaps just you know thinking yeah maybe it is for me after all yeah indeed and, and actually reaching out to people that are obviously uh, women on boards and Rachel and her team if you're listening in and you happen to know somebody family or friends that's in a similar role and just picking their brain Shane because I think what Rachel really put across well is there's there's yes there is supply in the market but there's probably a lot more people that just don't they undervalue themselves in terms of they've got the skills 
So talking to, and I'd be very happy to do it, as I'm sure you would and, and many one, any others listening in, is to demystify it and say, well, yeah, look, actually, you may not feel like you've done it or you've done it in this industry or space, but there are lots and lots of commonalities. Uh, and I, I suppose chuck on top of that, Shane, in this day and age, the ability to go and watch videos, to do online learning and training courses where you can expose yourself to the roles and responsibilities of a, of a director before you sit in that seat. Absolutely. And also understanding, you know, what is your passion for? And that's something I think I'm really keen that aligns to whatever you end up doing is find things you enjoy doing uh, is always the best place to start. It is. You're absolutely right. And actually, on that note, Shane, if we wrap up, what do I enjoy doing? I enjoy doing podcasts with my friend Shane and listening to brilliant people like Rachel Tranter. So, Rachel, thanks so much for you and your time. Really inspiring, insightful stuff for us today and a brilliant, brilliant initiative, uh, Women on Boards. Shane, thank you to you as ever and indeed to you, our dear listener. Uh, well, I hope that's plural. Listeners, uh, it's fascinating stuff again on this Leaders and Pioneers series. If you've got things to share, maybe you do want to ask a question about what it's like to be a director, as we've talked about, or anything else in between. You can find us at www.podcast.co.uk. You can search for us on LinkedIn. You can find us on what we've learned on Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Um, we'll be back very soon with another episode and another guest, and we look forward to you tuning in with us then. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>